Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Hey, happy family month. Uh, It is so good to see you guys. Uh, Some of you guys may know what family month is because uh, we... Uh, we're almost six years old as a campus. We've been around for almost six years, and we've been doing family months since we started. But South Hills, as a family of churches, has existed for almost 25 years, and they've been doing family month every October for about the last 20 years. And it's a time that we just say, hey, every October, we're going to carve out some time, and we're going to talk about the most important relationships in our circle. Uh, many of us, when we think about family, we think about our biological family. Some of us think about the family that we have started. Some of us think about friends. Uh, some of of you guys have a small group that is like your family. Some of you guys have other different kind of circles of people that are those closest relationships. And so however you would define family in your life, uh, I know that you and I both long for those relationships to be healthy, to be strong. And I know that I'm not going to spoil anything for you guys, but it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, that we're going to talk about this. There's five Sundays in October, so you're going to hear about this a lot. And none of the things that I say are going to be quick fixes. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. Uh, I don't say that to be like sad and depressing. I say that because uh, you know it's true. And I, I think sometimes maybe pastors can get this tendency of like overselling how simple things are going to be. Like, oh, if you just do these three things, everything's going to be awesome. Well, I'm not totally convinced on that. But there are principles that we can start to embrace. And it's, it's like uh, I grew up in the South. We had a huge garden and, and all these types of things. And, and you would have to put in a lot of work for things to grow eventually. And as we think about our relationships and our family and our friendships and our community, what we do is we often just say, hey, I want this to he- be something that I get to have the benefit of now. But it's not. And so I'm not going to do anything different. And it's this really kind of broken way of thinking of if I can't have it now, then I'm not going to put any effort in. If I don't get immediate results, I'm not going to put in any time. And and so we get to spend these next few weeks, week after week, talking about these ideas. And we say, okay, I'm going to start putting these seeds in the ground, recognizing that it's not going to solve all of my problems tomorrow, but I'm going to start uh, caring for and cultivating something that's going to change and impact my family. So I'm excited for this. It's going to be a fun month. Uh, as, As said, we've got Um, All kinds of great stuff happening. The small groups are going to be launching this Wednesday night. Uh, We have some that are meeting on campus. And if you are looking for a group of people to get connected with, it's a great opportunity. Um, That's going to be happening. We've got all kinds of fun stuff happening. And I forgot my journal. But how many of you guys, does anybody here have one of those little devotionals? Should I just go grab it? Okay, I'm going to just grab it. Sorry to everybody watching online. I have left the stage. Uh, Alina is hosting online. Thanks for hosting, Alina. There's a bunch of people hanging out in our services online. On your way out, uh, each of you guys will get one of these little devotionals. These are something that we make each year, and there's just a a very simple one-day Uh, or one-page devotional for each day. There's a scripture. There's some questions that you get to read through. Uh, We have questions that are kind of geared towards adults. We have questions that are geared a little bit more towards younger ages, kids. Um, And so whether you're going through this at dinner or at breakfast with your family, whether you're going through it on your own, make sure you grab one of those. How many of you guys got a bracelet on your way in? 
Uh, for those of you that have just like enormous wrists, apparently, they're a little snug, but it's okay. Uh, but these, uh, these are here to remind us. This is just a simple way as we spend these next few weeks talking about these different ideas and these scriptures. When we look down at our wrist, it's, a, it's meant to remind us of, of what we're cultivating, of what we're putting in the ground. And so it's going to be a great month together. Um, you guys know if you've been here for any length of time, I've got two kids, a seven-year-old and 11-year-old, both boys, and uh, they're awesome and so much fun and challenging and so difficult and all of the things at the same time. Uh, if you're a parent, you may understand that, or even if you're not a parent, you probably have seen my kids and you understand what I'm talking about. So uh, they're so much fun. Um, and it's, I think one of the most challenging things is uh, that sense is like, as I watch them, I recognize and I see how much they love each other. Uh, there's times when it's like awkward how much they love each other. It's like, okay, chill out, you guys. You're like obsessed with each other. And then in the next minute, they could just be like at each other's throats. And if you have kids, you probably understand this aspect. And, and uh, it, they'll go through seasons where they get along and they play and they read and they, you know, all these things together. And then there'll be a couple weeks where they just want nothing to do with each other. And I remember last year, our older son went away with his cousin. They went camping for a week, and uh, it was actually probably just about five days. And it took all of about 24 hours for Arlo, my seven-year-old, just to be devastated that his brother was gone. And he was so sad about it. Like, well, how many more days? And he wanted to put, make like a little paper chain to tear off until his brother came home. And, uh, and then we would text his brother and kind of check in with them. And Mason, the older one, was like, how's Arlo? You know, like not trying to totally say that he missed his brother. But uh, anyway, so five days of, uh, passes very quickly for us, and it probably was an eternity for our boys. And have you guys ever seen those videos online, like those YouTube videos where like somebody comes home from serving in the military overseas and they surprise their family? That's what it was like. It was ridiculous. It was like five days later and Mason comes in and Arlo jumps up, and they hug, and they're literally just hugging each other, laughing. I was like, you guys are ridiculous. Like, this is, this makes no sense. You are such little weirdos. And they're just like, <laughs> and then like 30 minutes later, they were fighting again, you know? And it's weird, but we kind of do the same thing. Even as adults, we have this same reality. There's times when we want to be, it's like, man, I miss my family. I want to see my parents. I want to go hang out with my siblings. I want, to, I want to have that thing where we do family vacations together, whatever it is. And, and for each one of us, it's different. Some of you guys, it's like a couple hours, and you're like, okay, I've had enough of my family now. I'm ready to go back home. Some of you guys, you could spend a week with your family, and you can enjoy every minute of it. But there's this tension that we all carry. It's this blending of our individuality, of who we want to be on our own and what we're okay with, what we're not okay with. And that somehow blends together with this aspect of what does it mean to be part of a family, of community, of something bigger than just me. It's a tension that we all carry. There's a conflicting desire for both autonomy and community. And I think I have a slide for that somewhere. There it is. Uh, there's this conflicting desire that we have. And what I want to do today is I just want to talk about this, and I want to name it, because what happens a lot of times is we don't actually say the things that are actually happening. And it's okay that this happens inside of us. We want to be our own person. We don't want to be dragged down or overly associated with someone else. We want to be able to have our own wins and our own successes and, and, and be able to have the freedoms that we long for. And we deeply want to be part of something bigger. 
for many of us, that is our actual, our, our, our biological family. Maybe it's the family that you have created, you and your spouse. Maybe, maybe there's, uh, like I said, groups of friends or a, a kind of a spiritual family that you maybe were adopted into as you got older. But there's this balance that we all need to recognize. And, and I don't know if balance is necessarily even the right word, but we kind of have this thing where it's like, man, I really want to be connected with them. I really want to spend time. I really want to be close. I really want to, and then also, yeah, I really kind of just want to be my own person. I really want to be an individual. That's okay that that exists. The sooner we can become comfortable with that existing, actually, the, the better it will be for us because we're called to acknowledge both of those things exist together. Um, there's a, one of the things that I love about Scripture is, you know, as you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can read through this, and you won't find one healthy example of a family from beginning to end. There's moments of health, just like your family. Uh, and, but it's, it's encouraging because you're not wrong. I mean, you're probably wrong in some ways. But it's not like you or your family or your marriage or your kids or your siblings or whatever it is. It's not like you guys have somehow screwed it up more than anybody else. We have a scripture, a, a Bible full of stories and of examples of families that screw it up one time after another time, over and over again. And there are beautiful moments where they get it right. And then there are opportunities for us to say like, oh my gosh, I don't think we're supposed to do it. And we can learn from their mistakes. And we can kind of follow this trail. And, and personally for me, that's one of the reasons why I actually believe that scriptures hold the truths of how God wants us to live. If somebody just wrote this and was trying to fool us, it would just be full of their own victories and how they were perfect all the time. It's full of human realities that we all wrestle with. I want to look at a story today. It's actually a really long story, and I think it might be maybe the second most important story in Scripture. You have the story of who Jesus was, born to Mary and Joseph, and lived and died, gave his life for us. And then there's this other story that is so epic, and I don't use that word as like a California surfer. I, I mean it more as like a because I'm not a California surfer is really the spoiler alert there. I mean it more as like, it's an epic. It is a massive story. It's a story about a man named Joseph, and it's found in Genesis chapter 37. And, and I want to look at this story because it's full of goods and bads, and we're not going to be able to look at every aspect of it, but it's something that you could read. And honestly, this story covers about 10 chapters and about 30 plus years of Joseph's life. It is this massive story, but we get a glimpse of this uh, autonomy aspect and community aspect that I'm talking about. This, this desire to be an individual and to have your own success, as well as this deep longing that we have to be connected into our family. So Genesis chapter 37, we're going to start off in verse 2. It says, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Jacob is the father. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives plural, which is our first opportunity to say, oh, this isn't a great family, okay? So this is an example of how this never works out, in case any of you were thinking about trying to pursue this idea. Um, he, uh, he, Joseph brings his father a bad report about his brothers. Now Israel, Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. 
So just like a beautiful, like, you, you know, you imagine the Star Wars, the opening scroll, you know, it's like, yeah, there's Joseph and his father loves him and his brothers hate him. And this is kind of the foundation for really what ends up being one of the craziest stories in scripture, the story of Joseph's life and what happens. We have this beginning phase of this dysfunctional family already in place. It continues in verse six. It says, Joseph had a dream and he said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of, of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while all of yours gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Remember, this is the little brother here in the story. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Not like as a genuine interest, but I'm sure as a sarcastic, like we're going to destroy you now. You know, like how dare you? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Joseph has this dream, and this is something that happens a lot in Joseph's life. And he's young, he's a little bit silly, and he tells them this dream, and his, his brothers are furious about it. They already hated him, and now somehow they hate him even more. It goes on and it says he had another dream and he went and he told his father about this dream. He tells his father about how his father one day is going to bow down to him. And guess what? His father also was upset. And it says his father rebuked him for having this dream. There's this thing that's happening in this story. And it's interesting because for us and kind of like in a Western American society, the way that we approach family is really less about the whole and more about the individuals. There's kind of this sense of like, good for you, Joseph. Get it. You know, like dream on, pursue your passions, rise up, become great, you know, go after these things. But in an ancient Near Eastern culture, and even a lot of the Eastern family units, the way that they function now, that did not make sense. Nobody thought about the importance of an individual. The whole of the family was the most important thing. It had so little to do with your desires your hopes, your passions, and it has everything to do with, will you bring honor to your family unit or will you bring dishonor? It's a totally different perspective. And I'm not saying that it's better. There was a lot of misses there. They would really discount individuals. Individuals would be hurt in the process of, of caring for the whole. But this is just the reality that we find ourselves in in this story. The story goes on, Joseph's brothers Ultimately, they get frustrated with them and they decide that they want to kind of figure out a way to take him out of the situation. And, and we don't have time to look at all these details, but ultimately they say, hey, let's sell him off to this traitor. So they sell Joseph into slavery. And then they go back and they tell their father that he was eaten and attacked by wild animals. And they just think in their minds that they have figured out how to solve the problem of their frustrating little brother. Joseph, as you can imagine, ends up in a totally different country. He doesn't speak the language. He doesn't know the customs. And he's serving as a slave in this house of this wealthy man and ultimately finds himself in a situation where he was being accused of something that he didn't actually do. And obviously, if they have to take the word over a wealthy man's wife or this slave who doesn't even really speak the language or know the customs, who are they going to trust in this situation? So they take the word of this wealthy man's wife, and they, th they, they throw Joseph into prison. And it's interesting to think about. And for me, I, you know, I grew up in church. I grew up in a Methodist church. 
where there was always a basement and it had green carpet and we had flannel graphs in Sunday school and watered down Kool-Aid and little ring cookies. Like it was the same thing every single Sunday my entire childhood. And, but I don't know if you guys grew up in church and you've heard Bible stories. I remember hearing this Bible story for most of my life about Joseph and the coat of many colors and, and all these different ideas but when we hear things over and over again, sometimes we just breeze through it. We get to kind of speed read these stories because we know the gist. But I think it's important for us. And today what I want to invite us to do is just to slow down at this point of the story. Slow down and think about what's brought Joseph to this place. At this point in time, he may be 19 or 20 years old. He's had these dreams that we know from later in the story were actually dreams that God gave him. They were kind of these visions of what would happen in the future. His brothers hate him. His father rebuked him. His brothers sell him off into slavery. He finally finds some sort of success, and then people lie about him and, and call his character into question, and he finds himself in prison. And I want us to think through what's happening in that moment. I've not personally experienced prison, but I imagine that there's a lot of time to think. A lot of time to think about the people who got you where you are today, especially if you're innocent. There's a lot of time to, to just kind of marinate on the pain, the betrayal. As I wrote down some of the things that Joseph would be thinking in this time, I don't know if any of this might relate to you, not necessarily because you spent time in prison, but maybe, I don't know, all are welcome, <laughs> but because you have family and you have friends, and you have been hurt. And I know that you have because we all have. And maybe you haven't been sold into slavery by your family, but you've been betrayed by people that you trusted, people that you thought were going to care for you and stick up for you. And we've all had these moments. And I, I wonder if some of these are the things that Joseph was thinking. I can't believe they did this to me. They never understood me. They didn't like me from the beginning. I bet they've all moved on with their lives. Do they still even think about me? I wonder if they feel guilty. I hope they do. I hope they can't sleep at night. I'll probably never see him again. I hope I never see him again. I kind of want to see him again. Thinking about them makes me so upset, but they're my family. I don't want to be associated with them or connected to them but I can't escape the fact that I came from them, that they've imprinted themselves on me. There's, there's no way to explain who I am without understanding the way that they were. I came from a, a family that had a lot of pain. There's a lot of brokenness in my family. I've talked about that before, and I don't have time to dive into all those details today. Maybe you've come from a family where you couldn't have wished that things were better, and I, I love that for you. Maybe you came from a family that was more similar to mine, where there was a lot of pain and heartache. And I know for me, in my own experience, there is a sense that even as I've put up boundaries to find health, or as I've created distance to make sure that I don't get hurt, or that I can protect my family now that I have, my wife and my kids, and there's a sense of, man, I, I don't, I don't want to be too close to them, but also I wish that I was close with them. I don't want to be hurt again but I wonder if they could change. I wonder if it could be different. There is this longing 
that we are wired with. There's something in our DNA that, that drives us and draws us to, to crave this family aspect. We talk about family a lot at church. We talk about community. We talk about this as a, as a church family. And there's a lot of different layers of it. And we can find fulfillment and wholeness in different avenues of it. But, but we need to acknowledge that there is something inside each one of us that craves that type of connection. We were fundamentally designed to function in a family. No matter how much you value your independence, when you're without one, you cannot help but crave being part of one. And that's why some people, when they don't have a healthy family of some kind, whether, again, it's their biological family or an adopted family or whatever it might be, they end up latching on to unhealthy versions of families or destructive versions of families. That's why some people move into unhealthy or abusive relationships because even though I'm, I'm being caused physical pain, at least I know I have a family. It was a couple years ago, I was at a conference, it was a pastor's conference, and, and there was a guy that was speaking, and he's done a lot of work um, in inner city gangs. And he basically taught this entire message, and, and the, the crux of his sermon, I'm not going to give you a sermon within my sermon, okay, don't worry, but the, the crux of what he was saying is that these gangs were providing a more beautiful picture of family than local churches do that these individuals that were hurting and alone, they were searching for something, they couldn't find it in a community of Christians. And so they were finding this type of connection inside of these gangs doing things that obviously no, no one should be doing. But they found a family that loved them, that had their back, that was for them. I don't know if any of you guys binge watch Netflix. I'm sure none of you do. It's like the number one category of things to watch on Netflix is documentaries about cults and pyramid schemes. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been like me where you watch this thing. It's like, how could anybody ever fall for this? This is so obviously crazy. But in these interviews, what do they say? It felt like a family. I, I felt like they loved me. They were there for me. They cared for me. Yeah, I did these crazy things, but it's because I knew that they had my back. There's something inside every one of us that is driving us to find this type of connection. And there's also an aspect of us that wants to be an individual. And we have to be able to recognize that there is a, a unique, singular aspect of who I am inside of this bigger, beautiful community that I'm called to live in. And that could be, again, your, your parents and your siblings. It could be your spouse and your kids. It could be a small group, a group of close friends. Both of these things can exist. So we move ahead in this story. Joseph finds himself able to get out of prison because he has this ability to interpret dreams. And he kind of works his way through this social hierarchy of the time and, and ends up at the very top. And in Genesis chapter 41 Verse 41, it says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, and this is the Pharaoh, this is the leader of Egypt, this is the top of the food chain, there is no more power or wealth, people believe that Pharaoh was a god. So Pharaoh is now talking to Joseph, and he says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, and he put it on Joseph's finger, which is a way of saying, everything that I have 
is yours. My power, my name, my authority, my wealth, it is all yours. He dressed him in fine robes of linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now for years, again, in my familiarity with this story, I always look at the story as like, yeah, get it, Joseph. Your family's the worst, and you figured it out. You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You're your own person. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. It doesn't matter how they've treated you poorly or well. You've figured out how to do this. There's this individualist mindset that, that wants to think that good for you, you can be successful without them. But there are no wounds deeper than the wounds that are inflicted by our families. The most stable people can be spent, sent spiraling by pain from their past. And even in Joseph's situation, all of the money, the power, the title, all, I mean, he could not possibly be more successful at this point. And we're still about to see how broken he still is inside because of that gap between him and his family. His brothers show up. Chapter 42 says, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground which sounds oddly familiar. feels like somebody had a dream about this moment a couple of decades ago. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. It's interesting because family has a unique ability to make a totally normal person act psycho. Have you guys noticed that? Does anybody else want to own that? Like, I'm sure none of you have found yourself in a position where you're shouting at a seven-year-old saying, I'm in charge, <laughs> which is like, at that point, are you really? Like, if you have to make that kind of statement, like, you're no longer in charge, right? Family has this ability to cause us, regardless of what we have, success, all these things. And it's interesting, just as a side note, it feels like, the more we struggle in our relationships, the more we pursue like power and success and money. It's like, okay, well, fine, I'll be good at this. But there's still this thing that we long for. And family has this ability to cause us to act in ways we never would. Joseph is lying and tricking his brothers and trying to act tough in front of them. And then the next minute, as we see, he's, he's weeping and crying and hugging them. There is just something inside of him that is drawing him back in verse 1 of chapter 45, it says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, how dare you? He didn't say to his brothers, you tried to kill me, but I win. First thing he asks about is how his father is. It's me, Joseph. Is my father still living? And his brothers 
were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And verse 15 says, he kissed his brothers and he wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. It is fascinating to me. Because in the moment where he has all of the power and the right and the ability and he can do whatever he wants, there's a famine in the land, he can tell them to go home and just deal with it themselves. But this overarching drive to be connected and part of a family is the thing that comes through the most in this situation. I want to be super clear. This is... The intention of this is, is not that if you're in an abusive relationship, you should stay in an abusive relationship. This is not about uh, you should allow yourself to be hurt or taken advantage of by people. That's, that's not what this is. That's not this sermon. That's, it shouldn't be any sermon. But it's for sure not this sermon. But there is this moment for Joseph where he recognizes this desire and this connection that he has. And what happens over the next few verses and chapters, really, is that there is this repentance or this apology that's made. There's this healing that starts to begin, and the scenario changes. In chapter 47, it says, Joseph settled his fathers and his brothers. He moved them to Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land. There is a restoration of this family that comes because there's something inside of Joseph that still with all he was able to attain in the face of all kinds of odds, there was still this thing that he could not escape from. The story isn't about the triumph of an individual. It's a story about the healing of a family, recognition of the deepest desire that we all have to be a part of something bigger than ourselves be a part of a family, our family, the family that we, we have started, the, the family that we have chosen. We have this desire, this longing for it. And in our frustration, we want to push it away and just say, you know what? I'm just going to do it on my own. I can go faster. I can do what I want. I don't have people giving me problems. I don't have to remind seven-year-olds that I'm in charge here. It's like none of this stuff. We all have this kind of desire to be autonomous and individuals but it will never be able to overpower this way that we've been created to live in a family. So we have to think about what this looks like for us. We have to think about this idea and acknowledge these two things exist inside of us. And my hope is that this week, our takeaway, what, what we're able to kind of remember and hold on to is this question. Am I putting the, the we above me? Am I putting my family above myself? And this reminder for us is that we're called to live in family. We're designed to live in family. We're, we're designed to have a family unit. Again, whether that's the one you were born into, you started, your friends, your small group, the church for a lot of people has become their family because they don't have any actual family left. It can look a lot of different ways. But there is this invitation or this challenge for us to recognize the importance of prioritizing the family around us. Am I putting we above me? There's a, a tendency or an ability, I guess, that we have to then allow ourselves to wear 
uh, allow ourselves to be worn down, to just kind of be like eroded away for the sake of our family. And that's not what this is about. For years and years and years, people have been getting on airplanes and putting on headphones, but pretending to listen to what the steward, the flight attendants have to say in that kind of emergency briefing. But they always say this phrase. They say, in case of an emergency, oxygen masks will come down. And if you're traveling with someone who needs help, put the mask on yourself before you're able to put it on them. And I, I think it's important for us to remember that idea in this phrase, because I need, to, I need to prioritize and choose and care for my family. I need to start cultivating things that, that may not show up or may not produce right now, but I believe that they will in the future. But it's not to the point where I am dying or struggling. I'm caring for myself so that I can care for them. I, I make sure that I am healthy so that I can make sure that my family is healthy. It's a, it's a cycle it's a balance of how do I continue to, to build healthy habits in my life, healthy, healthy rhythms and cycles in my life so that I can, I can put my family and, and make decisions for my family. It's so important for us to do this. Maybe some of you are here thinking, like, that's a, that's a good idea, but you really are longing for a real living, breathing, healthy family to be a part of in the first place. And I think that it's worth noting that sometimes, like Joseph, God is able to heal the family that we came from. Sometimes, for some people in some seasons, God inspires others to bring us into their family. I know when I was about 20, 21 years old, there was a family that kind of adopted me spiritually, not really legally. I was an adult at that point. Um, but they were incredibly generous and welcomed me in and cared for me and helped guide me through just a lot of really difficult things. Sometimes God empowers us to start a family of our own and, and kind of build on this. But it's so important for us to recognize that we, we were designed to live in community. And the most core at the very essence of community, the, the base level of it is family. What does it look like for us to, to prioritize that, to lean in, to, to pour into that, to, to put resources and time and energy into that? That's the, the question I want us to think about as we step into this month. We're going to talk about all kinds of practical things. We're going to talk about how to allow different types of people to exist without causing all kinds of chaos and angry frustrations with them. We're going to talk about how to build a mission statement for yourself or for your family to, to be moving in a specific direction. We're going to talk about all kinds of different ideas. But it starts off with this acknowledgement that, yes, we are individuals, and yes, we were designed to live in a family. I think as we close, the one thing I, I just want to kind of bring us around to is this idea that the healthiest way for us to be a part of a family physically is by recognizing the spiritual family that we're called to be a part of. There's spiritual implications of this. All throughout scripture, across this entire book, is laced with ideas of us being a part of a family. God shows up in this family. 
he changes Jacob's name to Israel, and he says that all of Israel's children will be children of God. Jesus is called the Son of God. In the New Testament, the church is called the family of God. Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he talks about how you and I are adopted sons and heirs of God. Because there's this reality that our identity is shaped by the family that we're a part of. Who, who God is, and as we recognize we're a part of this family, our identity is shaped by that. Jesus was teaching in John chapter 14, and uh, he said something, and this passage is, I think, most often read at funerals, because it gives like this sense of hope uh, of what's to come. But I think it matters for us today. John 14, verse 1 and 2, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? I grew up, there was a lot of Christian rock bands, and there was this band that had this song about like this mansion that we would be able to live in one day in heaven. <laughs> if you're chuckling, you know what song I'm talking about. And that's not really what this is talking This isn't talking about like God has such a giant mansion. There's enough space for everybody what Jesus is saying here is something that they would have understood in that time, in this culture, is that when you started your own family, you didn't move away and buy your own house or rent an apartment or a condo in an adjoining city. When, you, when it was time to start a family, you would literally just build a room attached to your parents' house. You would just expand this house because you weren't leaving a family. The family was just growing. Now, I get that some of you, that sounds like a nightmare. I'm not saying that's what we need to do. But there is this crucial thing of what Jesus is saying here. My father's house has many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. What he's saying is, is that you are my family. We are a family, and God is our heavenly father. And that is where we first find our identity. And that's where we find the source and our ability as individuals to become healthy enough to prioritize and care for the families that God has entrusted us to have, whether you're married or single or divorced, kids, no kids, whatever, wherever you might be. We find that through the identity that we have as a spiritual family. Jesus, in this teaching, is wanting us to understand that he wants us, that he's choosing us, that we fit with him. There's a place for us, that we belong with him. And it's from that space that we're able to find health as an individual and to make sure that we're making decisions based on the we, not just the me. I'm not in a search trying to find how I can have my own identity or my own success or my own power, but I recognize that I'm part of a family. And that's the way that God calls us to live. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving.
Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.